want to um, uh, talk about uh, about water baptism, and I, maybe the question I want to ask today is that people might ask of us, why the fuss over water baptism? Why do we make such a fuss over water baptism? And uh, right now, one of the things uh, we're missing a few things, as Kathy mentioned, there we're missing seeing everybody and having fellowship, but we're also missing. Um, our baptisms is one of the things we like to see at meetings. In fact, it's a highlight. And just to remind people of what it looks like, Pastor Graham's over here at the moment. I think the camera can swing across and we can just pull that beautiful curtain away for a moment and uh, see what's behind there to remind us all of this spot where some people in this fellowship have been through that particular baptism tank and would remember the day and exactly what happened um, I'll ask for hands up right now. Who went through that baptism? Oh, I've got a few here in, in the hall. I was sort of thinking at home, uh, hands up, who's been through this particular baptism tank. And uh, it's just a, it's a nicely made fiberglass tank with a lovely timber surround. And, and, uh, but it's not how nice it looks or how, well, it's nice that it holds water. But uh, that's most important. But it's not how nice it looks that counts. But thanks, Pastor Graham. Um, but that's what we like to see used. And I want to go through a few scriptures today to maybe just highlight why it's something important to us. And uh, perhaps we'll just go to the book of Acts first of all. And um, chapter 8. This is a very unusual story. Um, it's got, it's got so, um, if, if, if you like creating a picture in your mind, um, and some people did a lot of that before televisions came along, we had to sort of imagine in our own minds, try and picture this scene, because this, this is a remarkable, uh, scene. In verse 26, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip. Now Philip was one of the early disciples in the beginning of the church. And he's on the job here, uh, in, uh, this is, this is well after Jesus has died, risen again, left, and the disciples have all realized the calling that God has given them. And, um, I won't go through how that all happened right now, but they became changed men and women. And here, uh, we read of Philip. So the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from uh, Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now, Gaza is not your easiest place to travel to these days between Jerusalem and Gaza. It's a bit of a hot spot. And, um, but that's the sort of, that's the territory we're talking about. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for, to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. So, so picture this guy. He was Ethiopian. He was, uh, he had a, a, a special position, um, a bit different to how these positions are created these days, but he was a eunuch, which was, uh, um, something which was done back then, and he he had great authority, and he was he was seen as safe, a safe bet. He was uh, he was trusted with the money, and he was probably trusted in other areas as well. And um, and so he's coming back, and he's sitting there, and probably with his 
entourage. I don't know who was with him, but uh, he would have been uh, protected. And uh, he's he's sitting there and he's reading the Bible, the Old Testament. Now, he's an Ethiopian. He's not a Jew, but he's reading the Jewish book. And for some reason, it's got great intrigue to him. And uh, so just as he's traveling along, he just stops for a coffee. And he's got his Bible there. And uh, in verse 29, then the Spirit has sort of moved on Philip and saying, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. So he's reading out loud to himself. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So there's a bit of a, uh, a treat here for Philip. In verse 32, the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth. Now, those of us who know anything much about the New Testament story won't take long to understand what this passage is. And he's reading here from the book of Isaiah, he's reading of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is very well laid out, Isaiah 53. And he's he's reading of it here, but there's no name given in the Old Testament. It's not it's not clearly identified, but there's certain characteristics. And in verse 34, and the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? What was he driving at? And then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Now, if you can, again, just picture this, these two guys, you know, sort of, I don't know if they've parked on the road at this stage or they're, they're just still traveling along, but Philip is just explaining the New Testament story. At this stage, there is no New Testament, not even sort of a handwritten one on parchment. Maybe the, the beginnings of them had been, had been jotted down by Luke and Matthew and so on, but, but it's not in, in a form like we have today. So Philip is explaining the Old Testament with what he has seen. So you see this passage here in the book of Isaiah? It is all talking about what we have just seen go on in Jerusalem. And he tells all the latest news of everything that would have been going on through the country, of Jesus walking around, healing people, preaching about the kingdom of God, answering people's questions, going to their homes, their villages. It must have been news all over the countryside because they were such miraculous events where the blind were healed, the lame walked, and people sat in their thousands to congregate and listen to this Jesus. And and then eventually they took him unjustly, murdered him, and then the story gets out that he's been raised from the dead. And the next thing, there's this revival that starts amongst a few thousand people in Jerusalem where they're all praying and they all receive the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And whammo, the church starts. And away it goes from there. And Philip's one of those that has uh, come from all of that. And and these things would not have been, 
you can't imagine that they would have been brand new news to the to the eunuch to to this man who was in position i i imagine news would have moved between various places and here he is coming up maybe he's inquiring of what's been going on in the region but as he's reading this scripture philip's able to fill it in for him so i know what that's about because i've experienced it i've seen what jesus has done in my life and in verse um 36 And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? Now, there's not a lot of verses in the Old Testament about water baptism. In fact, it's a New Testament thing. And so he can't sort of really go to a lot of verses and say, you know, like we can with the New Testament, say, well, here's John the Baptist was baptizing people and, Here's what happened with the first church and we can open up lots of scriptures about it. But as he explains what he has heard from Jesus and says what you're seeing there is now fulfilled, this guy has accepted that. It has just somehow, it has touched him. I guess similar to how Kathy was saying in her testimony, that something, she had no value on the Bible. But something started to touch her because what she saw in the people. And there must have been something in Philip here that stood out. And, and so in verse 37, and Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Now he hasn't seen him. He hasn't seen any of his miracles. He's just amazed at the testimony of one person in front of him who was so excited about what he has seen and is able to explain something in the Old Testament to him. And in verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. Now, I don't know what happened to the eunuch from here on. Um, He... He went to Jerusalem. You can only hope that he got in amongst the saints, that the Lord who had found him on the road made sure that he he found the church uh, in Jerusalem. And so often we've heard testimonies of people who have have heard the gospel in one location and then they've been pinned down in another location and uh, and the Lord has, has found them. Now, talking here today, why are we making such a fuss about water baptism? Now, here we've got a story about somebody who is just trying to understand God. And that leads him to the Bible and it leads him to God giving him an answer about Jesus and it seems that the road into Jesus is through water baptism. So somehow or other, God's making a bit of a point here that water baptism somehow or other, is going to get you a whole lot closer to knowing God. Let's go to John chapter 3. And there's a man here, um, a religious man, who is uh, speaking to Jesus and trying to figure Jesus out, I guess. And Jesus, in verse 3, answers him, the man is Nicodemus, and says to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Now, born again is a bit of a throwaway term these days. Um, you get born again footballers, you get born again businesses, you get born again all sorts of things. Um, but born again is a Bible term. It's plagiarism. They pinched it for all sorts of unimportant reasons. And it explains in here, Jesus explains what born again really means. Even in religion, it is so lightly used of somebody who's just been rejuvenated in some way. But if we read on here, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Fair enough question, although... I think the ladies uh, would die at the thought. And in verse 5, And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And he describes here, this is the thesaurus on born again. So you want to know what born again is? This is what it is, to be born of water and to be born of Spirit. Now, it's a, it's a very clear, unique sort of an experience here. There's two parts to it, like Araldite, like, like a, a good strong glue, sometimes two parts to it. And uh, there's two parts to this. And in our fellowship, I suppose that, um, sometimes, um, water baptism, which is the being born of water part, plays second fiddle. Because, um, we, the other part of being born of the Spirit is very exciting. When a person receives the Holy Spirit, they speak in tongues, it's a very clear and wonderful gift from God. And, and who would not be excited about that? But water baptism, um, it's sort of, uh, like I say, it sort of, it seems to be sort of down a rung. Because it's just something we do. Then it's just water, it's just a, a tub of water or a, or a pool where the Ethiopian was. And, um, I think, well, and a lot of people, I guess, sort of make light of it and say that, um, well, what does it really matter as long as you're repentant, you believe in your heart? But the story we've just seen was that it wasn't just that the man believed. There was an action that went together with it. And so people have done a lot of things about water baptism to, I suppose, diminish it. You know, many people will just sprinkle a little bit of water now. I might just touch a bit of water on your forehead and say, well, it's just symbolic. It doesn't really mean a lot. So as long as we've got some water in the, um, in the ceremony and the main thing is that people have a conviction. Um, but there is more to it. And I just want to point out a couple of things. Firstly, in uh, verse 23 of this same chapter, it says, And John also was baptizing in Anon near to Salem because there was much water there. Now, firstly, the amount of water seems to matter. Otherwise, it wouldn't say this. We read also in the book of Matthew that when Jesus was baptized and he, Jesus didn't do anything that was unimportant. He was full of important things. And when he was baptized, we read he went down into the water, he came up out of the water. 
So again, he's gone into the River Jordan and been submersed under the water. And that's the picture we get right through the New Testament of what water baptism is the way that God wanted us to read it. If, if, if we have an authority on water baptism, it's this book. And, and if we want to look at exactly the method, we'll find it in here. And the method in here is as the word itself means, the Greek word. It really, it means to, to dip or immerse, to submerge. And, and so just looking into what that's getting at, let's look at the book of Romans in chapter 6. And in verse 1, Paul's writing to the church at Rome and trying to teach them about the things that they have done so that they really understand the gospel message and each part of it because um, the last thing God has ever intended is what some people call blind faith. He hasn't expected us just to join up in a church because our parents did and not understand why. He hasn't expected us to come to this fellowship uh, because our parents did and not understand why. He wants us to understand why about whatever we do because he wants to walk with us as a father and and he is the father and we as the children that he wants to teach us. So the book of Romans actually goes through step by step on various aspects of what the gospel is about in, in some detail to, to say, and, and chapter six is all about water baptism, explaining why. Chapter eight is all about receiving the Holy Spirit and understanding why. And there are chapters before which are all about faith and understanding why, all about sin and understanding how. And, and it just goes through part by part. So here in chapter six, we read in verse one, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now the, 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 the question that he's asking here, a rhetorical question, is that if God loves to show us grace, should we just keep sinning so that we can say how wonderful and gracious God is towards us? He always forgives us. That's the question asked here. And, and some people delight in that fact that, oh, God will always forgive me. In verse 2, it says, God forbid. Here's the answer, pretty simple. Shall we continue in sin? No. God doesn't want us down that path. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, what does that mean, to be dead to sin? I mean, we all sin. We hope we don't sin like we used to. You know, you know, we have sinned in all sorts of ways, maybe ignorantly before we came to know God, but after we come to the Lord, we find ourselves not wanting to sin and we, and so much that was sinful in our life has been taken away. And, and we just, it's like a load off our shoulders. And so he says here, we're now dead to sin. What does he mean by that? Because dead is dead. And in verse three, he says, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So in verse 4 it says we are buried with him. 
So if we think about the death of Jesus and that we have been aligned with him, so we didn't go to the cross. The Bible says in a way we deserved that, but because of our ignorance towards God and our rejection of God. Um, that, But God has decided to give us a, an easy way out, so to speak. He said, I don't want you to die. My son's done that. But for you to align with his death where your sin was taken by his death, then I just want you to symbolically die. So that in your heart you say, when I get baptized, when I go under that water, I'm saying my old nature is buried. And so when we come to the Lord in this way, this is, I guess, our, our gift to God, if we could put it that way. It's not a very nice gift, but I suppose the nice part of it is our willingness to obey him. That's that's the nice part. The, the, the great benefit for us is that we are seeing that we are aligned with Jesus in death, that our sin should be taken away by the blood of the cross. And so we read on here that it says that not only are we aligned with him, but also that we would walk in newness of life. Now that brings in the other bit about being born of the Spirit. Because the only way we get the new life is when the Holy Ghost comes into us and and then we are aligned with Jesus being raised from the dead. So as, as the, the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we are raised from the dead. And that's the the the, the comparison of the, the two pictures that God is giving us here. And in verse 5 it says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Now, uh, Australian terminology, your old man is your old man, but we're talking about the old man of our human nature, not our father. Our own human nature, it says here, is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. That's all I want to read from this chapter. It's it's a great read as you read right through and get the, the full picture of what God was saying. Why do we make such a fuss of water baptism? Because at that moment we align with Jesus Christ in the biggest way we ever can. We just say, I respect the death that he took for me. And so I'll go into the waters of baptism. Now, I reckon a lot of us probably don't realise that when we get baptised. We just sort of think, okay, if that's how I can get saved, well, I'll do it. And and many of us, when we get baptised, we sort of hope it's true. We We don't know a lot more than that. But as Paul's writing here to the Romans, it's often afterwards, as we reflect on it, we go, wow, was I let off that scot-free? And 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 we begin to really appreciate uh, the greatness of it. Um, let's go to Acts chapter 10. Um, we have a man here um, by the name of Cornelius uh, in verse 1. 
certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. And again, the story is worth a read where Cornelius, as a man seeking after God, is brought together with Peter the Apostle. And Peter preaches the gospel to him. And it's all new to Cornelius. And we find in verse 44 that while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. So that's Cornelius and his household as they were gathered together listening to Peter. And they of the circumcision, which is another word for the Jews, which believed, uh, were astonished, as many as came with Peter. So he had a group with him. Because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord and then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Now I think this is making a fuss over water baptism because they've already received, like I say, sort of the number one gift of receiving the Holy Ghost. They've spoken in tongues. They've gone, wow, what an amazing thing to now communicate with God. I feel alive. But Peter's saying, yep, that's good. God's done his bit. Now what about you? Will you come and align with Jesus Christ and die to your old way of life? Sometimes people don't. They receive the Holy Spirit and they walk away thinking that's enough. But they often don't see then the separation that God has made between them and their old life because that's what water baptism shows us is that the the man of sin needs to be donged on the head. And, and and we need to willingly dong our old way of life on the head and say, I do not want my drugs anymore. I do not want my um, immorality anymore. I do not want my self-righteousness anymore. I do not want my um, whatever anymore. And say, well, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful gift you've given me that now enables me to live by faith but I'm going to thank you so much that I'm going to say goodbye to my old way of life. And some people try to bring the two together and it doesn't work of, of saying I'll hold on to my life by not getting baptized and, and I'll receive the Holy Spirit. But they don't. It's, it's like uh, opposite magnets that bounce away from each other. They, they, they don't go together. Water baptism goes hand in hand as an inseparable pair with receiving the Holy Ghost. And in our fellowship, we are like the early church. We will do anything to get somebody baptized. We won't put your arm up behind your back, but we want to, we want to share with you what has happened to us and the excitement and that comes with just doing what God wants us to do. It's not quite so easy to baptise people at the moment, but we find our ways. We baptised a, a guy in a home swimming pool the other day and he, he went round to see a, a, one of our families and he was keen on the gospel and they warmed up the swimming pool and in he went. And um, he went under, um, only for a second, 
the uh, very happy to say that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he died for my sins and, and to leave it all behind. And we have stories around our fellowship in Kenya where people, when they've had droughts and they've dug in a river to find water, to see if they can find enough water to, to say, bury them in it <laughs> symbolically, put them under the water. They've, they found it there. Um, I remember in China when we first went there and, uh, baths in China are not very common. Uh, don't mean that they don't wash. They do wash, but, but they don't always have a bath in the house. And though where we found a bath, uh, um, it was often very small. And so we're trying to, fortunately a lot of Chinese people are smaller, but we had to somehow get them to squish up and shrink wrap them a bit and see if we could make sure that they got totally wet and we would do whatever we could to get them totally wet. And it's always been a, um, an important thing to us. I remember a, a sister that um, Christmas camp a couple of years ago, uh, Karakalinga, where we hold our our camp, and I hope we'll be able to have one at the end of this year, that um, there was a lady there shuffling along with her her frame and um, we gave her a guard of honour down to the water and she was carried into the water and she was delighted to be baptised there. And it was maybe the only way we were going to get her into the water very easily. Uh, it was a, it was a, a good day. So... Yeah, we, we see it, I think, the same way that they saw it in Bible days. You know, I got baptized in the Church of Christ when I was 10 years old. And, um, and it was a beautiful looking, um, well of water, all tiled, very nice tiles and big steps coming down either side and a big tapestry behind it and, lights and music and all that sort of thing. Um, even sang a good hymn. It was up from the grave he arose. Um, and uh, I remember walking down one side and the, the minister walking down the other side and I'd done what they said, given my heart to the Lord. And I, I got baptised right under the water. All that part of it was right. But I never received the Holy Spirit. And that pair have to go together. And if you've been baptised by full immersion and never received the Holy Spirit, maybe be good to read Acts chapter 19. I won't go through it now. But uh, there's a similar story there of some people who were baptised and never received the Holy Spirit. And Paul, the apostle, was sad for them. He said, hang on a minute, this comes as a pair. You, you need both. And and so uh, for me, I found that having this um, experience in the Church of Christ was disappointing. And it was ten years later before I, I came to a revival camp and uh, was excited to see what had happened to my parents and, and to other people. And, and all of a sudden this book, it came alive. It just came alive. And I, I'm, I'm thrilled for the fact that I got baptised in water and I was willing to say, Lord, not my way but yours. As Jesus prayed before he went to the cross, not my will but yours be done. 
And, and that is the essence of water baptism. Not my will, but yours. I'm going to die to my will and I want yours to be done and I want to become your vessel. I want to become your servant. And, and here I stand, you know, Lord, amazed at, at how you've overcome sin in my life. And for me, the swearing's gone, the drinking's gone, the, uh, the temper, you know, God just started to do a work in me that, you know, and I think, how did I deserve that? And I want to finish on the words of a hymn. Kathy was singing this this morning. I could get her up to do an item now, but, uh, I think we're probably going to run out of time, so I'll let her go this time. Um, but, um, it's a, it's a great hymn. And it's, it's just picturing us standing holy before the Lord when the Lord comes back. With harps and with vials there stand a great throng in the presence of Jesus and sing this new song. Unto him who has loved us and washed us from sin, unto him be the glory forever. Amen. All these once were sinners defiled in his sight. Now arrayed in pure garments, in praise they unite. He maketh the rebel a priest and a king. He hath bought us and taught us this new song to sing. How helpless and hopeless we sinners had been if he never had loved us till cleansed from our sin. Aloud in his praises our voices shall ring so that others believing this new song shall sing. And I think that when the eunuch saw Philip, in a sense, he probably saw a taste of this. And it won him. And, and, it, and it's won many of us. And maybe there's somebody today that wants to be won by this. And to, uh, to really chase this down. I think Pastor Graham had a call last week of somebody who ended up coming uh, down to the Vogue Theatre during the week and getting baptised because uh, they were keen. They wanted to find a way. And one day soon, Jesus Christ is coming back for those who have been born again and um, love his ways and want to uphold his ways. And we don't know in what hour that will be. Uh, but right now, um, you know, maybe you've got a bit of cabin fever at home. Maybe, uh, life's n- not as exciting without your football team playing or what have you. But if you want to get away from boredom, make this move. You'll never ever regret it. This is the move that, the move of a lifetime that is needed for all of us so that, uh, the rebel is turned into one of God's, into one of God's soldiers. And, uh, and we'll be there with Jesus Christ when he returns. Amen.